welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast. This is your host, Madeline Messer. And today we have the great pleasure of speaking with Miss Elizabeth Gant, who's a horticulturalist with Delaware's Historical and Cultural Affairs. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, how did you get into horticulture? Well, my mother would say it was her garden, but the truth of the matter is I've always been an outdoor girl and I used um, horticulture to help pay for my college tuition. And in doing so, I fell in love with horticulture. I worked for the college campus all five years. I was an undergraduate and my both of my bosses were from Longwood Gardens and they encouraged me to apply for their program. And that program takes one out of 12 students every two years at the time. Now it's every year. And I was one of those 12 lucky students. Um, so I put my degree aside, never have used it since in the technical, you know, in the, in the formal sense, but I have been a horticulturist ever since. So um, really it's the love of outdoors and plants that brought me to horticulture. And I am always thankful that I chose the way I chose. What do you mean you use horticulture to help put you through college? Well, I mean, I, basically I put myself through college by doing horticulture and landscaping and cutting grass. That's how I paid for a lot of my tuition. Wow. Uh, how does that kind of reflect in your day-to-day -day work? Are you still cutting grass? Or are you more on the management side of things now? I'm more on the management side. Um, I do get out there with the guys quite often, but not as often as I once would have. So, but still being part of the planning and doing it correctly, um, I feel like that's, I still get my hands dirty in that way. What is the role of horticulture within the HCA? I think our role is a supportive one. When people come to our sites, we're kind of the first thing they see and the first impression. So we always want it to just be attractive and clean. And then for some of our other sites, we dig a little deeper in um, being supportive of their programming and their events. For example, we have bayberries at John Dickinson Plantation for one of their candle making events. But then we also um, take care of many formal gardens that are open to the public and for private events. So I really just consider ourselves as a support team for HCA. Do you have like a favorite event that you get to work on every once in a while? Um, a favorite event? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a hard question. Um, not necessarily an event, but one of my favorite, this is what we do. Um, and I will talk about this more maybe when we talk about volunteers, but we have a partnership with Delaware, Autism Delaware. And working with those students is pretty phenomenal and rewarding. What have been or are some of your most significant projects in addition to that one? Okay, so that's a hard question. Everybody wants to know that you planted this acreage and wonderfulness or you've done this big design. Um, our significant projects, uh, if I was making a list, some of them would be more of a cleanup after the ice storms and the tornadoes. Um, we've done a lot of extensive replanting of trees up at Buena Vista Conference Center. We've begun clearing the glen out at John Dickinson Plantation. So those are some of the larger projects, but I actually believe it's the smaller stuff that's more important. I think we came in and we, you know, the, the Woodburn Gardens had been formally updated prior to my coming here, but I feel like we took it to the finish line. And a lot of times that's just a lot of little intricate details that may not be glamorous, but they need to be done. So, um, so some of the smaller stuff would be like, um, here's a silly one, but it's important to me. You know, when I first started, there was a washout in front of the old state house in Dover. 
every storm, people had to go out and clear the gutters and clear the mulch. And, and there would be inches, if not feet, of water in front of the old state house. We solved it with horticulture. You know, we, we eliminated the mulch, we planted the right plants. And in six years, I have not had that phone call since. So again, it's the little things that I think are big. How are volunteers involved in that kind of work? Well, volunteers have been great. Um, prior to COVID, we utilized them quite a bit. We would have um, a couple different ways of working with volunteers. Um, sometimes it would just be a, a one and done. They'd come in and, and do a blitz on a project and be done. And other, such as the Autism of Delaware, they would come regularly each week and, and do what tasks were assigned to them. Um, we've had administrative help. We've had people do cataloging of our plants. We've had people remove invasive species. And then we've worked with the, the volunteer day each year as well. So volunteers have been very important since day one for me. Do you need any volunteers for any upcoming events? Um, actual events, no, but we're always accepting volunteers. We say events, we're, again, we're supportive. So when the sites have events, we do react. But our day-to-day -day work is more what we use volunteers for. Um, and it would depend on their specialty and their strengths. You know, we can use people regularly in some of the formal gardens. We can use people once in a while for, you know, little cleanups or this or that. So there's always somewhere to fit in volunteers if they're available. Where do you usually get your volunteers from? Are they like professors who are doing this in every time or like old lady gardeners? <laughs> usually it is from um, HCA's volunteer coordinator. Um, now Tim, our director has brought in um, Dover High School students from time to time and he is our connection to the Autism Delaware program. So, um, you know, we'll take them wherever we can get them. We also had some um, community volunteers at Belmont Hall after our tornado up there, and they brought it upon themselves to reach out to us and offer, which was pretty great. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you kind of get out there with the guys every once in a while. Who else is on your team? My team right now consists of four people. I have George Pardee, Ken Roy, um, Dan Davis, and John Schwartz. And um, I can't say enough good about our team. I always describe them as having strong personalities, but not a lazy bone among them. They are the most hardworking crew I've ever had the privilege of working with, honestly. And I've worked with crews at the National Arboretum, at Longwood Gardens, in my own business. These guys, I, I can't say enough good about them. And I feel honored that I get to be what I consider I get to be their coach. Um, I try to stay out of their way. I try to give them the support and their needs. And I do think I'm very good at coordinating. But as far as the, the gritty hands in the dirt work, these guys are phenomenal, trustworthy, and know what they're doing. Between the four of them, not even including myself, we have over 100 years of experience between all of us. Um, so yeah, I have a great team and I can't say enough good about them. That's very impressive. What's a day-to-day -day like for them versus kind of a day in your life? Well, for them, no two days are the same. And I have three right now that are stationed in Smyrna and I have one stationed up in Newcastle. No two days are the same. My Newcastle guy tends to check on my Newcastle property. So for example, today he was on his way to Fort Christina. There's an accident on 95. So he's caught up in that accident. Um, he'll go back to Buena Vista and he'll, he'll do some projects there. Um, from day to day, he never knows if, if there's gonna be a fire to put out over in old Newcastle or is he gonna be needed at Buena Vista. We just, we make a schedule, but we always make it flexible. My guys here in Smyrna, they cover all of Kent County and Sussex County. 
And um, again, none of their days are the same either. One day they may be mowing some fringe areas and the next day they may be mulching at the governor's house. Um, you know, they do everything from fine gardening to some more agricultural tasks. So they have a broad range of talents and they, they complement each other very, very well. And what's a day in your life like? Oh, you don't want to know about a day in my life. A day at HCA, um, it can be, you know, again, no two days are the same. For example, this morning I come in, I do some paperwork. I've got some receipts to turn in. I've got some notes to take. And then I had this meeting with you. This afternoon, I'll go out and I will look at a few of the Dover sites and just make myself some to-do lists for the guys for next week. Some days I'm in King County. Some days I'm in Sussex or Newcastle. Um, the flexibility is definitely one of the perks for me. Uh, prior to coming here, I had my own business and I came and went as I pleased. And I'm fortunate that uh, Tim and Suzanne trust me to, to get the job done and done well, uh, according to my preferences, I guess, would be the way. How long have you been working at the HCA? It's only been six years. It's only been six years, yeah. What is your favorite part of working for historical and cultural affairs? I don't want to sound corny, but it's so true. I am the ultimate Delaware girl. Maybe not so much Newcastle, but I, you know, I'm fourth generation of Delaware women. And I actually had a history teacher in, in my family. Uh, actually, I've had two history teachers in my family. My point is this, I get to take all of my love of Delaware and I get to combine it with my love of plants. So I feel like I'm upping the ante for Delaware and it's horticulture, but I also get to stay where my roots are. That's wonderful. Do you mind if we talk a little bit about your business and what you did uh, back then? No, not at all. That was a, a weird start. Uh, my husband and I got married um, right around the time of 9-11, <clears throat> excuse me, and we decided to move back home to Delaware where we had family. And I, at the time, was working for the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C., and we literally made the decision, we're moving back, one of us get a job and the other will follow. <clears throat> so um, we came back and I'm looking around and there was no National Arboretum here. There was no Longwood Gardens here. Where am I going to work? So I started my own business. <clears throat> Excuse me. I started my own business and it was slow at first and it really, really took off and it was all word of mouth. I never advertised. I was part of some of the professional um, certifications, but I didn't advertise. I didn't go out knocking on doors. It was all word of mouth. And I pick and chose my clients according to who I wanted to work with. And in my company, the last few years, I hired George, who now works for us at HCA. So he and I work together. We don't even have to speak. We know what the other's going to do and, and what our role is when we're working together. And honestly, the benefit of that was I got to raise my daughter the way I wanted to. I was available to her. I worked on her schedule. My clients waited for her schedule. <laughs> and that's, that's how I ran the business. So was it a landscaping business? Or? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. It was, okay. it, was landscape, it was landscape consulting and landscape installations and maintenance. And was that kind of similar to your work at the National Arboretum or what you do now? Or is that kind of its own breed? It's actually probably more to what I'm doing now. I, I told Suzanne early in, in working for the state, I feel like each of my sites is a client. So if I go to John Dickinson Plantation, I want to make Gloria happy. And if I go to Belmont Hall, I want to make the friends of Belmont Hall happy. So um, each site manager in my mind is a client and my team is the crew and we, we, we tend to attack things that way. And I tend to schedule things similar to how I did in the business as well. 
um, there's more paperwork, there's more administrative, there's more um, other tasks that come up, but that's that's how we run the show for the most part. That's interesting because we've been speaking to Gloria and a little while back, friends of Belmont Hall, and they are always talk about, you know, the, the tree tours they've been doing and how well their sites are maintained. And I'm sure that's in, uh, in large part due to you guys. Are you involved in those tree tours at all? So the tree tours, I am involved in a sense, but there's no product to share at this moment. Um, I've got several views on that. There's old tree tours documents floating around. They're not accurate. They're not up to date. And we need to do that. But in doing that, we need to update our inventories. Um, John Dickinson Plantation will be a priority to get their tree inventory and their, their brochures more up to date. Some of the trees don't, you know, they're not there anymore. So mm -hmm. we need to update that. Um, and then places like Belmont Hall, I hate to say anything negative, but our trees are in poor condition there. So advertising a brochure isn't on my high priority. My high priority is getting the trees healthy and starting to replant from some of the natural disasters that have caused deaths in our trees. Um, so the tree brochures are very, very important. They've kind of been on pause and some sites I believe are more important than others. When you talk about replanting, would that be like from a seed or a sapling or would you try and bring in a larger tree? We like to bring in larger trees. Saplings work well, um, especially when you have a large volunteer group, but saplings plant best in the late winter. And it's hard to get volunteers, even, even employees <laughs> that want to plant in late winter. Um, the larger trees, it's, they're not necessarily healthier or, or more um, advantageous, but they they stand their ground more, so they're protected more visually from lawnmowers, cars, people, those kinds of things. Um, so we tend to plant young, immature, bald and burlap or container plants. Specifically at Belmont Hall, we had the tornado come in, and I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it took out quite a few trees. And with time, we really would like to plant, replant those trees maybe two to one. Um, <clears throat> up at one of us to conference center, we had an ice storm a few years ago that wiped out quite a few trees and we have replanted most of those. Those types of things will have to be reflected in our inventories for the trees before we update the brochures. And it's, so yes, it's very important that there's no finished product in my mind right now. What else do you have that's sort of in that category of things that the horticultural team will be taking on in the near future or in the long-term well, future? Currently we're working with Suzanne um, to develop um, the horticulture plan for the Newcastle Green up in Old Newcastle. Mm -hmm. There's old documents floating around. There's old plans. There's old inventories. The inventories are actually pretty up to date. We're up there. That would be an easy tree tour to probably put together because the trees are few, they're healthy, and not much has changed up there. But anyway, we're coming up with a, a horticulture plan for Old Newcastle just to make sure that everyone's on the same page. We have a partnership with um, national parks and um, really we're just trying to come up with a horticultural um, guideline and set of rules of, of what's going on up there. So that going forward, you know, anyone working on the green, we can all be on the same page. Um, and then there's always architecture, that, or I'm sorry, archeology span that has to be um, considered when we're up there as well. Uh, other projects similar to those, We've got, we've started uh, a bloom list for Woodburn. It's definitely been on pause and backburnered by me. 
um, but that needs to come back up. We are working on a bloom list for Woodburn. It's kind of a horticultural thing where they'll say, okay, in the month of May, here's the things you might see in bloom at the governor's house. And in the month of June, here are the things you may see in bloom at the governor's house. Um, so that's kind of a cool project that we're working on. Are there any kind of long-term projects that you would like to get to in your time at the HCA? Um, well, a couple of them have just recently been addressed. We have wanted to renovate the boxwoods down at Swanendale Museum. And it's one of those things where you're going to make it ugly before it's beautiful. Um, but they allowed us to do that. And we went in. If you don't know horticulture, you think, oh, my gosh, what have they done? They're going to come back bigger, better, more beautiful. We've exposed a building. We've um, exposed the lighting that can now shine. And it'll be stronger and healthier. A lot of people would want to rip them out and replace. This will be much easier and much um, healthier for the plants, too. It'll be uh, a lot less maintenance. Another example would be the boxwoods at John Dickinson Plantation. Um, there is a formal garden that is enclosed by boxwoods. There's many different um, theories on whether they should stay or should they go. And we all compromised. We decided to cut them down and, and get the, the vista opened up a little bit. Um, so we just worked on that. That was quite a task because there's quite a bit of them. We may take them lower again next year, but we're doing it in stages. Um, other long-term projects I would like to see here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of little plantings here and there. There's a lot of plant specifics I want. I want to fill some voids up at Buena Vista. I want to eliminate the need of annuals as much as possible. So annual what? Annual flowers. Oh. So places like the Bell and Dover, that one makes sense. That one, you know, we do bulbs, we take the bulbs out, we do annuals, we take the annuals out, we put bulbs back in. That, that's kind of a display garden. But as far as annuals at John Dickinson Plantation or Woodburn or any of these other sites, I don't think they're necessary. Um, they're, they're always beautiful, obviously, but I think they're, they're high maintenance. They're an expense that is very temporary. And that is one area that I'm trying to simplify, if not eliminate, for my team. When we're doing a plan for the old Newcastle Green, we're going to discuss how trees are properly planted. We're going to discuss how the lawn will be maintained. We're going to discuss all these horticultural things. But honestly, the number one step is to evaluate should archaeology, will archaeology be involved? We don't dig a hole at that old Newcastle Green without reaching out to archeologists. So my point is, is in that um, plan that we're gonna make, that list of guidelines we're gonna make, we need to include archeology span as well. Okay, just to make sure you're, that you're not doing work just for them to come say, oh, actually we needed something from there. Right, or, you know, we just dug a hole and we just eliminated, you know, John Dickinson's, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we don't wanna disturb anything that we're unaware of. Absolutely. Were you involved in the um, discovery of the burial ground at John Dickinson like a month or so ago? Not directly, no. Again, we're a little supportive. We try to um, keep the path moved for people to get back there and we've all, um, we've all gone back and experienced it. But no, that wasn't directly related to us. Okay. Um, I guess kind of my last question is, is there anything else you want people to know about horticulture at the HCA? Oh, I just need to, to put this out there. I have the best team in the group. I, I, I can't say enough about my team. I wish I had two of each of them. Um, 
horticulture at HCA is, is it's a very positive experience for me. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to this episode on horticulture at the HCA, and I hope you join us next week for our next episode.